Hello and welcome to the Party Games Show, the only podcast that brings you a game club for every occasion. I'm your host, Andrew King, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Colton Burge. Hey, 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 Andrew K. How are you doing today? I'm good. I feel like I should be adding an adjective before co-host, like my lovely co-host or my eloquent co-host, but I haven't so far and I don't think I'm going to start today. Um, But if you're listening, this is the fifth episode of Reflection, a Celeste retrospective podcast, and we're joined today by a special guest, fighting game expert, freelance writer, MinMax cohort, Celeste enjoyer, Cyril Vasquez. Hello, thanks for having me. I like that the last one is the only one that's like relevant for like what we're doing today. I'm just like, here's all these other qualifications. Also, he enjoys Celeste. Well, I gotta, I gotta start with your credibility. Everybody's gotta know that you know, you know your stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, actually, there's a, there's definitely a lot of um, crossover between like uh, fighting game, practicing combos in fighting games, and doing a lot of Celeste uh, levels. In that you just you're kind of doing repetitions until you get it right and then the differences in fighting games you usually want to do it until you can do it pretty consistently i was sort of thinking something similar today but i do not have like the vocabulary to talk about fighting games so i was going to leave you to say it so i'm glad that you brought it up yeah there's definitely like a flow state that you have to get into for for both of those kinds of games for sure yeah um so today we are on chapter five which is the mirror temple um which follows immediately after um, Madeline's uh, panic attack on the gondola when Theo teaches her about the feather technique um, so that she can combat her anxiety in that way. So immediately after that, uh, they arrive at a mysterious dark temple, and Madeline is afraid to enter, but Theo rushes in for uh, for Instapix glory. Did you guys... uh, do you guys remember what you thought about this when you first played it, or were there any thoughts that came back to you as you were playing it for this episode? Uh, for me, it definitely this is the chapter that I started with, and I played back and, and, and went back and played a little bit of it uh, from the beginning. But it was interesting how I I thought I'd uh, that this game kind of got to this stuff a little bit later, but I I was surprised at how much it is getting into the like. Um, her kind of whole emotional journey i thought it was more of like a oh it's a little understated and then it kind of slowly crescendos but like by at this point you're kind of fully immersed in her narrative and i think this is this to me feels like the chapter where they're um they're finding a really good balance between having all of the gameplay stuff tie into the themes that they're running with here yeah yeah mm-hmm. i agree and uh something that i didn't notice but i was watching a rubber ross uh, from Game Grumps playthrough, mm. and he pointed out that the entrance to this temple is shaped like a mouth, mm. and you go uh, like from the mouth down the throat into the belly of the beast uh, right at the start of this level, and I thought that was pretty clever. Oh, that is interesting. I didn't notice that. I I just noticed that as you enter, Madeline has to duck to enter, which is how you know caves in real life are a lot of the time is that you have to like you know crawl on your belly or something to like get in but then that claustrophobic opening moment gives way to this like the most sprawling and wide open level that we've seen so far yeah to go back to uh to the point earlier about uh how you're kind of entering a body it it definitely ties into you know the exploring your own body and how that can feel so alien when you actually get down to it and i think yeah it, it ties into the fact that this this is maybe the least linear level uh, mm-hmm. up to this point where you know it's i mean it's pretty like it's not sprawling or anything but there are multiple points where you can kind of choose which areas you're you're um you're kind of going through instead of it being like a, a hub and spoke kind of thing where you're going straight but it, you can take a couple detours to get some strawberries if you want but this feels more like the hub of like okay go here and then you know go at a diagonal go this way and it does feel like you are exploring uh more than you have been in other levels and yeah it is kind of like it it ties into some of the stuff that you know uh, is part of the story which is like being unfamiliar with yourself and it's specifically in this chapter the way that ties into kind of one of the the multiple mechanics that they introduce here yeah it is the level that i have found myself getting the lost most during i played it three times leading up to this and like even today as i was playing at the final time to get ready i was still getting lost it's like the level where i have collected the same strawberries most often because i like 
I'm like, is this the way to go? And then I just find a blue strawberry that I've already collected and feel like I might as well grab it. But like, yeah, I keep, I, I find myself like unsure what the, where the critical path is, even after I've played it, I guess like probably five times all the way through now altogether between when the game came out and now and... I still cannot remember where you're supposed to go in this level, which I think works for it being like this um, place where like Madeline is, you know, lost and confused and like looking for Theo and like, I mean, metaphorically is, you know, trying to find herself in this journey. So I think like from a narrative perspective, the gameplay and level design mirror effectively what is going on, you know, with where she's supposed to be in the story at this point. Yeah, and I think they do a really good job of getting that across without it being a little overbearing because there's definitely a version of this level where instead of like, how do I get there? It's you're, you're asking yourself, where do I go? Yeah. And I think I had a couple of instances of that where I feel like I've exhausted all my leads. Where do I get? And usually it's more like you just find an, an entrance and it's really well te- uh, telegraphed. But I think there's definitely like the temptation there with exploration being such a big part of this level to to go a little bit too far into that. But it, it stays comfortably within the like, OK, here are here's the challenge ahead of you. Figure out how you're supposed to get there, but you know that you're supposed to be doing this right now. Right. Yeah. And like, because it is so much more exploration focused in the other levels, there are like important story things that you can just miss. Like, um, early on, you can find Theo's phone by the, by a smaller mirror, like in the first chamber, I think, that you enter once you're inside the cave. And that's just mess. I didn't realize it until I, like, the second time I was playing, I missed it and didn't even think about it until I was playing it today and then realized, oh, yeah, you can just miss this uh, part, which establishes what is happening in this level really early on. Yeah, it's it's a really, like, it's kind of interesting for a level like, uh, for a game like this, because I think a lot of it's, uh, games like it don't really do that kind of thing because they're all just like here's a series of levels you know here's like super meat boy here's something you know uh, here's n plus where it's just like the levels are kind of the thing you know and that's kind of another ga- thing that sets celeste apart in that regard is that it is trying to kind of tie a lot of the you know the mechanics of these games to its story in a way that you don't see games like this do yeah yeah that's true i i think in one of our earlier episodes we talked about how platformers in the 2010s, I feel like, started to do, you know, story more and have more of a concern with story, especially the late 2010s, because I think of the year that Celeste came out, Iconoclast also came out, which, yeah. you know, had, like, a story about uh, religion and, you know, the dangers of religion and, like, the reasons that people, you know, like religion and what it means to them in their lives. So I think it's interesting to see that happen. I don't know where you could trace that back to. I think, like, Braid is, like, the platformer that people think of when they think of a platformer playing with ideas, you know, in that way. But I think, like, there's also, like, another world way further back than that. So I don't know. Maybe it's just something that has always sort of been there in the genre, but it has become especially pronounced as more indie developers have gotten interested in telling stories in that space. Yeah, I almost feel like it is this weird like rendezvous where you saw like around the braid era of like here's like a really kind of lo-fi platformer with you know a lot of a lot to say right and then there was also this other spoke which was the super me place of like we're just gonna make this really tough as nails thing that is all gameplay and i think those were the kind of the two like sometimes you you do still got like get those mixes of like okay this you know something like iconoclast is not like a pure platformer is more like a, a castlevania or like a metroidvania kind of game um so you'd get like a, a lot of games that did fuse those two but i think there was definitely like this either gameplay focused or story focused kind of thing and i think celeste kind of found this like here's a, you know a super me boy that is kind of at the far end of gameplay focused and we're gonna mash it with something like braid which is almost to some degree at the far end of the narrative spectrum right and i think it works for celeste because it is a story that is about you know like confronting your fears and like failure and like overcoming them. And like, so that theme works with the, you know, intense challenge of something like super meat boy in a way that it wouldn't in most games, you know, like it's hand in glove with the story and um, mechanics in that way. Yeah. It it is, you know, it it is about the thing you're doing in a way that a lot of games can't really be. Yeah. um, 
So this level's big mechanic is the bubbles, which you boost into and then travel with until you dash out um, or run into a wall. And I've been thinking about like how like a lot of games when they introduce new mechanics it is like literally something new that you can do like we've talked about titanfall 2 a little bit in an earlier episode and like in that game like one of the standout mechanics is that it gives you this time travel thing that you have for one level and then discard and in celeste it is like all of these ideas building around your dash so it's like instead of it being something that they give to you which you can use it is like the environment um, presenting new challenges that you can attack in new ways that it's introducing as you go. But, like, you've got the jello blocks in Chapter 2. In Chapter 4, you have to dash to push against the wind. Um, and then in Chapter 5, you have to dash into the bubbles. Um, and you have, like, a couple that are, like, sort of based on you touching something or climbing on it. Like, in Chapter 3, you have the, the evil fungus that grows wherever you touch it in the hotel level. But most of the stuff is built on Madeline's Dash, and I think it's impressive that they have as many ideas on how to iterate on that as they do, that like each new level can bring something new to that. What did you guys think about the, uh, about the, the bubbles being the me- main mechanic in this level? Uh, I thought it was, it, it was pretty like, clever the way that, yeah, they, they're, they're, you're still kind of ostensibly doing the same thing, which is jumping, right? And they just kind of change the way that you do that by in a way it feels empowering right um in that you can change the direction of your jump really drastically and i think i think when you enter a bubble it gives you your jump your uh, your dash back right so you can kind of chain things a little bit that way and so it feels like a power up um but it is also kind of like okay well now we're going to introduce a bunch of puzzles that require you to do this and so um i think it's yeah it's, it's one of those really like fun layers that don't feel like you know, the, the equivalent of a turret sequence where they're like, okay, we're going to introduce this thing that is completely out of left field, like the minecart, like a minecart level or something where here's a whole new different move set that you have to memorize. It feels additive instead of like, uh, like it's replacing the rest of your move set, yeah. which I, I think is, is kind of hard to do. Yeah. Colton, did you have anything you wanted to say about, uh, about the bubbles? About what the it, bubbles? Yeah. Um, well, I like that they allow you to traverse the space very quickly. Yeah. Uh, because this is a much more, a much bigger and open level than previous levels. So I think it's just nice that the mechanic of this level lets you travel the space a lot faster. Yeah, that is a good point. They, I think part of the reason that those bubbles are cool is because of how it feels like you're going fast when you're in them, but you don't have to worry about like for certain portions, you don't have to worry about running into the spikes or anything. Like you're going through these very narrow lengthy corridors where there's spikes on either side, but you don't have to worry about it because, um, the bubble is zooming through. I think like that is, that gives like them a good feeling of speed. Like when I think about like how racing games make you feel fast, a big part of what they do is, you know, having the walls be close to you on either side or having, you know, like something that is fencing you in so that you feel like you're going fast because you're not running into it or you have a point of comparison. And I think that is what this level does is that for most of the time, if you're not inside one of those bubbles, you really have to worry about your proximity to those spikes. And so they have this danger in your mind. But then when you're inside the bubbles, you don't have to worry about it. And that gives it this really exhilarating feeling. Yeah, there's a really strange sense of empowerment. And like, you know, towards the end of the level, you basically uh, fire, you know, fire yourself off of one bubble and go an entire screen just kind of in a straight line and then land on the other screen. And that's like a particular kind of like catharsis in a game that is all about you watching like the delicate uh movements of your like uh, your like very delicate aerial movements right because you're always trying to finesse a jump and or like you know you miss a jump by inches and you're trying to figure out okay well how can i like finesse the jump a little bit so that can land a few inches here and this almost is like easy street as soon as you get fired off right like timing it can be difficult with like spikes and stuff but once you're kind of on that path you're set and so like there is this kind of like okay i don't have for for this section i don't have to worry about the arcs of my jumps i just have to worry about properly kind of like firing the cannon right right yeah and so like once we've gotten through you know the initial portion of this we find theo who is um 
trapped inside a mirror. So we find a key, we open a locked door, and then we find Theo inside a mirror. And he thinks that you're the one inside the mirror, which, you know, lets you know that there is something going on. It isn't just, you know, whatever this tempo is doing, it isn't just for Madeline's benefit, right? It's like something that is also affecting Theo. Um, and he very characteristically got stuck inside this mirror when he was taking a mirror selfie in the, uh, you know, ancient temple. Um, and I think, like, that is something that ties in very nicely with, like, what Theo's journey is in the game and what his journey is for this level in particular. Yeah, and I think it's important that, you know, this hi- this chapter kind of... Uh, I-, I forget if it's, like, this is the first instance of it or if it's kind of leaning more into it, but this is, you know, one of those um, things that gets uh, Madeline to believe that, you know, it's not just her. You know, it- this is not a thing she's made up. It's not a construct. It's not something that she's kind of overthinking, right? It is affecting other people, especially since at the beginning of, her- of the game, there's, you know, they... Uh, um, the conversation with her mother about like oh that you're at it again right like this is this is your whole you thing and you're being you're, you're doing this again and it they kind of imply that it is something that you know their her family's kind of to some degree not totally like accepting of quite yet that they they're they're aware of it and how it affects her and like they they, they know that that part of it is real but they're kind of like okay maybe she's making too much of something here um, but Theo is like the person who's like, well, okay, for one, it is affecting me, so I know that it's real. And two, this is not just a this is not just a you thing. I'm also, you know, to some degree being affected by this place. It's not just, you know, like it is almost at once like gratifying to have someone con- to confide in, but also like, well, yeah, this is a this, it's not just your story here to some degree. Yeah, I think um, I I know that like you know this this is a game about depression, obviously, and you know the way that like fixating on yourself is like a very easy way to fall deeper into a depression and feeling like you are alone in having those feelings. Yeah. I remember like, you know, I guess like reading Catcher in the Rye in high school was like a big moment for me where I was like, oh, other people have felt depressed at some point in their lives. Like, cause the way that, you know, JD Salinger describes it is like, you know, Holden feels like he's going to, you know, fall through the sidewalk. He feels like he's just going to disappear from the world. And I'm like, oh, that is similar to how I have felt. And I think, Celeste's talking, or not Celeste, uh, Madeline talking to Theo about, you know, what the temple is doing and realizing that he is going through something similar that has to do with his own quirks is, you know, a, a helpful thing, you know, for hammering home the narrative, A, but also just, like, for communicating how depression can, or anxiety can sort of isolate you from other people. Yeah, in that you you tend to think that, like, whatever hap- is happening with you is this unique kind of thing that no ever no human has ever experienced right that and like that feeling of falling through the sidewalk can always feel like oh you know to some degree i've become a failed human being you know like uh, like i am uniquely a rejected like uh, like somehow you know malfunctioning human and just having another person to ref- to bounce off off immediately kind of um removes it from like oh i'm infinitely like just broken and someone's saying like no this is this is a common thing that happens like this is not you're not unique for having these issues right but and i'm also dealing with some version of this so like let's let's try to figure that out right yeah 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 i think the mirror is like a helpful image a because it is like reflecting you but also because madeline is seeing theo in the mirror and so it's like she is not just seeing herself reflected, she's seeing, you know, her friend reflected. And it is, you know, in that way that we are seeing like this visual image that communicates, you know, somebody else is going through the same thing as, as she is. Right. And I I think it's like one, one, I think key line is, I think when they're trying to figure out who the mirror is of, right. Like when Madeline is like, I'm pretty sure that's you in the mirror. And he definitely sees it as as her being in the mirror right and so everyone has those kind of perspective shifts but you know obviously because we are playing through it we kind of are aware that theo is the one to you know if it's either one of them it is theo who is trapped in the mirror right but that's just how we see it um which i think is a really good way to to not not without too much exposition get across that like yeah it's all you know you know your problems are also manifesting um, as as being other people's problems, it's just they just see them through that lens. Uh, it is it is not you don't have like you're not affected by those problems in the same way, but you still are aware of those problems, and so like 
the the problems are real it's just not the way to you that they are to everyone else yeah i think it's easy it's easy for me to imagine like you know lots of games have played with perspective by having you control you know multiple perspectives of the same event so i think of like something like you know the last of us part two recently but even more so resident evil 6 which has you playing you know four different characters going through the same night and it's easy to imagine like oh there's the dlc where you play as theo and like experience the mirror temple from his perspective and madeline is the one in the mirror but i think it is effective that we have a fixed perspective through this and so it's like we are inside of madeline's head we are seeing theo in the mirror even if he is also you know the one that's in the mirror yeah and i another thing is that like theo is definitely not 100% 100% comp, but he's definitely taking it a lot more chill. Yeah. Which I think is something that I think works in this level because it it almost feels like he is maybe reacting to Madeline's kind of like self-obsession and like kind of like, you know, her retreating into herself by like becoming the chill. Per- like, because I've definitely had instances where I've been kind of like the the super passionate kind of like I'm I'm in my own feelings person. But as soon as I feel like I'm seeing someone else be in that mode that I almost like bounce off of them and become like the person who's like, you know what, taken in perspective, I think this is I think we're doing OK. We just have to kind of, you know chill out a little bit right because I, I i think you know the the way that you read other people can definitely affect how you are processing emotions in that moment so i think maybe to some degree theo is seeing the way that it's you know, the mountain is affecting maddie or uh, madeline and um immediately kind of turning into like okay well she's kind of having her reaction to it so let me try to find a different one in almost a weird way right yeah yeah like you know you have to have balance and like in relationships it's rarely that both people are freaking out the same amount it's like you know somebody somebody is like the the one that is being passionate and then the other person sort of becomes calm as a way of yeah as a response right yeah 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 so speaking of uh mirrors uh the next like story beat is that madeline after exploring some more she finds a the large mirror that's covered by the big like stage curtain um and removes the curtain which gets you sucked into the mirror which leads to a like section of the game which i don't think there's anything else like this in the game that i can remember and it like is just in general is sort of an unusual thing that they have you do which is that once you're inside the mirror you see madeline at first but then the camera moves over to the right and you see one of the monsters that is going to be pursuing her for the rest of the level and then you control it and it tutorializes you basically on how they work and i think that's the function of this in the game is just that by letting you control it it's teaching you that like they can't move through sand or they can move through sand they can hit the sand and break it but they can't move through the, you know, like more ethereal looking barriers. And that to me is like the only function I can see to this brief perspective shift. Did you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. um, uh, They are setting up that those monsters are part of Madeline as well. Mm. Like she is technically in control of them in a way. Yeah. I I think what, it's almost like you know as she's exploring her body she is here is like an introduction to this part of myself you know like sometimes you have these kind of small realizations about like oh i guess i guess i i can tend to be a little controlling or like you know once you once you realize that you kind of tend to see yourself through that lens and it's and in this here's like this brief explainer of like okay here's an introduction to a new aspect of you uh, and I think beyond kind of like the here's a part where you are directly controlling them, which I guess sets them up to be like, oh, here's a here's a very villainous thing. Here's a monster. Right. Um, it, it does kind of push you towards like, well, kind of use them to your advantage to some degree, because I, I found out actually that they can as you're making your way through the end of the level and you're trying to open up the keys, those monsters can actually grab the keys right, yeah. and, un- mm-hmm. and unlock the doors for you. And so like it. I, you'd probably have to be a lot better of a player than I am to actually take advantage of that. But just noticing that I that that could happen, I think, is like one of those really um, unique aspects of video game storytelling, right? That they're using an element in gameplay to in, to further impart the idea that it like this is not a thing you should need to be afraid of necessarily or run mm-hmm. from. It's just something you just need to be aware of it, yeah. Right, and and this is a a part of you. Yeah, I did. I like to think of them, the Seekers, as, like, self-destructive or intrusive thoughts. 
Yeah. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. I Is there ever a moment later in the game where you control Battleline? I think once you fuse with her, I mean, I, I guess that technically counts, right? Once you kind of combine towards the end, if I remember correctly. Um, but other than that, I don't know that there is a, a, an L, a time when you take direct control of her separate from madeline i I don't think okay yeah it's just that like i agree with you guys that the reading that they are you know part of you and that's the reason that you are you know taking control of them i was just you know battling it or you know part of you as she's actually referred to in the game is like you know the big version of that right the big version of that that stretches throughout the length of the game so it is interesting that they give us control of the seekers but not of her at some point yeah, and I think this is the the first time when they kind of mention that, uh, Matt, like uh, Battleline is to some degree trying to help you, right? That that she's like, well, like you you keep thinking of me as someone who wants to destroy you, but I've been trying to get you through this mountain. I've just been I've just been doing it a very destructive way, right? Like I'm, I'm if I touch your body, I literally kill you, right? Um, but it, like that also goes to show like well you know this is another not so uh, like a kind of a destructive tendency like you mentioned earlier but that is manifesting in a different way of just like yeah this is a this is maybe a, a thing that you're not super proud of but it is still it it is still kind of like a way that you're solving these issues right yeah yeah there's a there's a really great uh well like the immediate story moment that follows this is that you do run into Madeline, but before that, there's this really gorgeous, like, moment where Madeline drops out of the mirror room and then floats through the air past like the big, like pinkish red crystals that are in the background. And that to me is one of the like more stunning examples of their use of uh, pixel art in this game, which I think is just like some of the best and most atmospheric use of pixel art that I can think of in like a, a recent game. This game is just, is just like fantastic at communicating like how an area feels, even though it's giving you like these very wide views that we, you know, I don't tend to associate having like a very wide view with having a good sense of like being there. But I think that, you know, Celeste does a very good job of like using pixel art to communicate like wind or like, you know, particles in the air or like you know light the way light is reflecting on snow it does a very good job of that and i think the that moment with the crystals in the background is like a good example of their use of that Uh, another kind of like smaller i i hesitate to even call it a mechanic but like a visual thing that happens in the level is that as you're progressing through it the the torches on the walls light up as you pass through them yeah which i think is a really cool you know like on one level it's a nice little metaphor of like exploring your body right and not you not being aware of what's on the other side but it i think it also ends up helping you with um uh, backtracking where it's like oh well i guess those those torches are already lit so i can i i know i've already been there but this area is completely dark so i haven't been there yet right so i think that's a really cool like thing that they do throughout the level that i don't know if they do they end up doing in other levels but it definitely helps uh you figure like it is both like a pathfinding element and also a thematic thing yeah that's that's true um tim rogers i think in his um doom video talks about how in doom like you know that the exploration you know you found where you're supposed to go when you run into monsters that you haven't killed yet and i think the the lights are a much more subtle you know small version of that but it's like the same principle of like if i run into an area where i see the monsters are dead or i see that you know a treasure chest has been opened i know that you know that is a place that i've been before and those lights are a very subtle version of that yeah so we run into battling at the bottom and um, she tells Madeline that she has a messed up head and that, like, it's her fault that she's creating the horrors in the temple. And Madeline blames herself for Theo uh, getting trapped. It's like, a, you know, it's like reinforcing that, you know, Madeline has her agenda that she, like, wants to help Madeline, but is doing it in these um, ways that are destructive and that, like, makes Madeline feel really bad about herself at the moment like later hopefully they will learn to work together but at this at this point they are still you know unable to have a relationship that isn't you know harmful so you move on from there and you find Theo trapped in his transparent crystal with the eyes staring at him Um, and this is when he says the thing about the temple shaping itself around him too um, and then Madeline promises to get him out and if you talk to Theo a second time which I don't think I I don't know if I had done this before um he calls you alex which i don't think at this point we know who that is nope 
we will eventually i think i think i'm sure there will be later conversations but at this point it was very like it shocked me i i because i like i said i played through this like three times before we before this episode and i only saw that the third time that i played through it so it really was a very shocking discovery that if i knew was in there i had completely forgotten about um did you guys have any thoughts on like any of the story stuff happening at this point from like you know meeting Badeline at the bottom of the you know after the mirror room to you know finding theo in his 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 cage yeah uh this goes back to something serial said earlier but theo has like this nonchalant chill uh persona that i think is reflected in this crystal that has been built up around himself like he is projecting this like totally chilled out like nothing can affect me kind of persona and that's being reflected in this like in the crystal that's trapping him yeah and i think yeah um i think the you know the eyes are the main thing that are like Mm -hmm. you know with theo and it's like the eyes can see him inside of this so i think you know as we go on it becomes more obvious that it's like you know a social media metaphor that is like theo is you know is the kind like is sort of obsessed with his instapex account and needs people to like see his posts and like his posts and um the eye the the crystal is like the temple's way of teaching him that like you are getting what you want in this moment basically metaphorically you are in a clear prison and these eyes can see you but it is just that it's a you know you're imprisoned um and so yeah it's an it's an effective um metaphorical thing it's not you know it's not super subtle but i think is you know a smart way of highlighting that like we all like to be on twitter we all like to to post but sometimes you know your posts can be a prism <laughs> sometimes you want to get off of the hell site yeah and I, I think it 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 does a good job of like portraying it as like well for the way it manifests for you is like you have well you have to get them out of the shell like you have to you have to go around you know this kind of byzantine path and it's kind of a bit of effort um, but ultimately you do have to kind of like the whole point is to throw them out and, you know, throw them through a bunch of doors basically and break the shell. Right. Uh, and that's the way that problem has manifested for you. But for him, it's manifested as a thing that he cannot escape. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that they kind of do a good job of like, well, who's of like coming back to that moment of like who whose mirror is it? Right. Right. Um, which I, I think is a, is a smart way to like communicate that without, you know, well, here's what this means. Right. Like without using a ton of exposition. Right. So yeah, eventually you get back to Theo and you knock him down from the pedestal that he's on and the crystal won't break. And like Theo sort of, not fourth wall breakingly, but you know, is calling attention to what is going on in the story. He says that the crystal is a manifestation of his negative psychic energy. And so you have to carry him from, you know, that point to the rest of the of the level. What did you guys think of the section where you have to carry Theo? I think it is like one of the more interesting like mechanical things that it does here because you have to deal with carrying him, which makes you a little slower and you can't dash when you're doing it, but you also have to manage the the seekers and like, you know, figure out how to get around them. Did you guys have thoughts on like the way that they introduce this mechanic towards the end of the level? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they do. It, I don't know how much of it was like intentional or just how much of it was like, here's like kind of a, a cascading, you know, coincidence that actually ties our narrative together. But it is a lot harder to get through that, through those sections uh, with Theo. Right. And there's always like, well, I have to do this thing. And also I have to basically literally carry you through this, uh, you know, because you're being like, you're literally being too cold. Right. Uh, and too cool. Um and so, but like, I think the puzzles I, I th- here are actually pretty smartly designed. There was one that I ended up getting stuck with. And I think the one where you have to um, both use one of those. Um, I, I don't know if this was introduced in this level, but like the thing where you jump and it kind of moves the platform to the other side. Yeah. They act as these like time press switches. Um, and I thought that, that was a, that was a pretty tough kind of thing of like, well, this thing is helping me, but now it's. Now with him on board, it, I have to think about how I, I have to kind of more carefully manage these things that before I was kind of using with abandon. Right. There's that one. I think is this the one that you're referring to at the end where it's like you have to throw him onto it and then yeah. you have to dash to bring it over. But if you dash again, it will send him flying back towards you. Yeah. So you have to like throw him and dash at the same time so that he lands and then you get onto the platform and can go over and pick him up. Yeah, that's a really good way of 
through you know celeste's gameplay mechanisms say like trying to emulate the feeling of walking on eggshells right where it's like i would love to just dash my way through this screen right but because you're here i have to tread very carefully right yeah that is that's an interesting point it definitely like mechanizes the feeling of like being in a relationship with somebody where you have to like pull you know extra weight sometimes if they are not able to do their part where it's like it would be that that like level that part would be extremely easy if you could just control madeline you can just boost up and then over but like with theo it becomes i think one of the more interesting puzzles in this level because you have to think you have to train yourself over this last part where you're carrying him to think in a different way about the space that you're navigating because you have this other person with you yeah and and you know who who knows how much they spent on like well we have this is what this thing is going to have to mean right and how much of it well we we want theo to be here we want you to to have to 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 basically carry him around and then here's like a bunch of consequences of that but i think it's it's a really smartly developed theme that runs through this level yeah yeah and then like the level ends after you get past that part you carry theo out as the seekers are you know chasing you and then you throw him into a giant eye which breaks you you know out of the temple which you know is you know taking the theme that we have seen throughout which is the eyes looking at theo and then making it into like not a boss monster per se because you just have to hit it once and it can't hurt you back but it is like making it into this monstrous manifestation of his you know his problem that he's working through in the temple yeah how are we feeling about the the game at this point we're more than halfway uh through celeste when is the last time that you guys had played it before starting up the playthrough for for this uh the last time that i played it i think was towards the end of 2018 i think this was back when i was still a game informer so i was like playing stuff to cement my top 10 and i remember you know playing a little bit of it uh and i think I think this was around the time they they released like a free DLC pack, I think. And I went through some of that. Either that or I'd gone back and tried to do some of the like the core, like some of the optional and I think some of the D side stuff. Um, Yeah. And and, and one thing I'd forgotten since then was how like I I think a lot of people, especially like in in the game form office, were like, oh, you know, it's a really well made one of those. But I'm not sure, you know, I don't know why I think, you know, I think they mentioned like, well, I don't know why IGN would give it a 10. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I think there are just a lot of like very small elements that that you kind of on the repeat playthroughs, you're like, okay, now that I understand what the heck I'm doing, uh, I'm noticing all these like smaller stuff. And I'm sure you've talked about this particular thing before, but like the way that they use kind of like text pop sounds, you know, like the, the way the dialogue boxes and, you know, uh, they, they have the little, they give each character's voices. Yeah. Right. Like the, the way those act as effectively, you know, their, their voices, I think is so such a well put together thing where, you know, in this level, when Madeline has those like really kind of terrified moments, you can hear her voice kind of like, you know squeak a little bit yeah. um and they do that just through like they didn't just plop like okay here's madeline's voice the the three sounds that comprise madeline's voice and we're going to replay those as her text pops up they they really went in and fine-tuned each of those text boxes to basically simulate uh, a voice for her yeah it is like taking a bunch of like things that were present in games like as early as like you know the early 90s and like you know platformers which is like you know communicating through text box and like having like a portrait for the character um to like give you like a better look at them than the pixel art can do and like you know having her not have like an actual voice but having these like squeaks that are you know like the kind of thing we would see in like you know banjo kazooie um and like using all that stuff that none of it is new but it is like using it in this way that is better than anywhere i can ever remember seeing it Right. It's kind of the equivalent between like, oh, let's just do this because it's nostalgic and this is what other people uh, did. And like, well, let's let this is a thing. Let's give it another look and kind of dig deeper into how we can use this to actually further, you know, what we're trying to accomplish here narratively. Right. Yeah. I think I probably would have been in that. Like, why would um, IGN give it a 10 uh, when it first came out? But I think revisiting it. um you know, Heather Alexandra said on Twitter that, like, this is the only game during her time at Kotaku that she could not find anything negative to say about it. 
And like as I play, I'm like, yeah, there are no, there's, I can't think of any real flaws in this game that I can see. There's nothing, you know, and I don't mind, you know, nitpicking, you know, but I don't have any nits to pick about Celeste. Yeah, there's there's definitely like an element of like, well, you might not just be in the mood for it sometimes, you know, like like if you're not the kind of person who likes to do things until you know, you get them right, right? And even th- this game does have, like, those accessibility options that can make it a lot easier. But I think there's, like, to some degree, some fundamental uh, kind of difference between, like, well, I don't necessarily want to do a bunch of platforming, right? If you're not into platformers, then Celeste isn't going to hit with you as hard. But, yeah, I think that it is, it is, for as much as we're talking about themes and story and stuff, this is still primarily a game where you're jumping on things in order, right? Like, it, it is still like a very gamey game in that sense, but it also manages to find uh, these like really wonderful ways to kind of bring that in line with its narrative, which is I, which is a, a thing I'm always a sucker for is just games that, that kind of re-examine, you know, video game conventions and say like, well, how can we use that to further our narrative versus like, well, you know, we're just going to have the, the tech dial, the text dialogue boxes are just how we get across our dialogue. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. I like it when a game, feels like it is considering every aspect of its mechanics and presentation and like you're saying none of it is there just because that's how you do things you know it's there because it can communicate something yeah for sure um colton how are you feeling about celeste at this at this point uh it's still perfect yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's about all i've got to say (laughs) all right well i feel like we have we've covered everything that i had in my notes was there anything that either of you wanted to say about the level that we didn't get to yet yeah, uh, I think the the only thing is that like, uh, for me it is kind of I, I like the the message of um, the like hey here's a mountain you have to climb it it's going to be difficult and you can do it, uh, and I think it is I to me that that to me is as simple as a premise as you can get with like here is it like the objective of this game is to complete this game and I think that a lot of it my first time through the game was like. It felt a little bit like, oh, come on, you can you can beat my game, right? Like, like keep trying. If if you keep failing at my game, my my game that I've made difficult, like ah, you can you can you can keep at it. But I think on the second playthrough, the idea, you know, especially now, um, the idea of like here is this task that I like that you the second you stare at something, you're just well, that's just something I'm never going to do. Uh, but it's you know like the the old saying like you know the journey of a thousand steps begins with a single one right like um, you have to at some point if it is a thing that you need to do or have wanted to do you have to stop looking at the mountain and and kind of step forward and it it starts with like those small okay you can get through this level you can get through this screen um, and I think th- like very slowly this game I think it is so good at. like pushing you through a way right in a way that at at first made me feel like oh this is like you know my first maso core game but i think you know the more you play through it the more that it is it is part of imparting a lesson yeah yeah Mm. we we all played this game uh a few years ago and it seems like we're all enjoying it more this time is this a game that hits different in quarantine oh i don't know i hadn't thought about that maybe i think a part of it for me is that like this is definitely one of those games that you know like it it is a game that about uh overcoming something difficult and kind of lingering with what how that feels which i think is definitely like the the quarantine game part of it but i think that precise platformers i think uh in general or like games that require a lot of precision end up definitely being more fun on repeat playthroughs like i mentioned you know that it is very similar to fighting games and that is like the learning the combo is kind of the the worst feeling part of it where you're kind of like okay i'm okay i figured out how to double jump okay now i can properly use it and you know in a lot of games like this you know by the time you figured out how to how to do a thing the level is over right like we've properly tested you on this um but so going back and with all that knowledge before you know which i did have to relearn some of it i think is always more pleasurable because oh i already know how to do this right like i've you know like even going back through the game now i was looking at strawberries that i'd already gotten right and it's like any time that i was like i don't know how to do this there was this like thing in the back of my mind that it that told me like you've already done this you've already figured this out you can do this like you've literally done this before yeah yeah i colton i do have an answer for that which is um that I think the aspect of 
Theo's character and his story is the thing that maybe resonates with me a little different during quarantine because it has been a year of almost all human contact coming in the form of being mediated through social media or Zoom or like for me, I feel like my main like connection with the outside world is like getting onto Twitter and logging on. And like that is like a miserable thing to have be your primary, you know, communication with the outside world. And so, but it also is like, it is the only thing, you know, right now, social media is the only way to connect. And so like, in that way, it like has taken like something that when this game came out, it felt like, you know, social media sort of was like an obsession for a lot of people. It was like something that we all used and probably used more than we felt like was healthy for us. But, you know, what are we going to do? And like during quarantine, it's like, it's not just an like, an obsession or like unhealthy it is like this is you know by the fact of the outside world being dangerous to be out in the main way that we are able to you know communicate with other people it has like become necessity rather than obsession yeah it's become like a lifeline it, to the point where like there the the few blessed days where i don't there where i forget to check social media for most of the day and then i realize like did anything happen today? Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, I've had a whole day, you know, like I've, I've done work or like, you know, played a game or, you know, did whatever. And like, you know, went and got, you know, my car fixed or whatever. And then I realized that like, I don't know that like, I feel like anything has happened today because, you know, I haven't read about, you know, whatever's going on on Twitter. And like, there's no like lingering discourse topic for me to f- focus on, which is not a healthy thing. But yeah, like you mentioned, it's, it's become this poisonous lifeline in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think the main thing about why it is, I like, I'm appreciating it more now is just the approach that we have been taking, which is playing it one chapter at a time. And like, you know, you can't move on to play the next level until we've, you know, done the episode for that. And so like, that is forcing me to like appreciate, okay, this is this level. I'm going to really focus on this level. I'm going to do some of the B side for this level. I'm going to like really dig into this mechanic and try and find the strawberries and the, you know, the tape. And so that is like, you know, forcing me to like appreciate each aspect of the game more, you know? So I think a lot of, some of it is just how we've been playing it for this podcast, but I think there are definitely aspects of the game story that do shine through brighter in 2021. Yeah, for sure. And for me personally, um, I've been stuck in a rut, you know, since quarantine started. And what Madeline is trying to do, uh, as she says uh, in this chapter, I think, is trying to break out of uh, her old cycles. And I just find myself relating to that story a lot more this time around than I did back in 2018. Right. Yeah, and there is the thing of like, in quarantine it's like your rut is not just i i don't know maybe quarantine is like a general um reminder that like or like you know i feel like quarantine has brought to the fore a lot of things that were easier to ignore before it and i think one is the way that our material conditions inform the way that we think about the world or the way that we feel about ourselves and our habits and like whereas before quarantine it was like okay i'm stuck in a rut i'm gonna get out there i'm gonna rise and grind i'm gonna change things i'm gonna positive think my way out of this when you are in quarantine like we are stuck inside because of you know our government completely mishandling a pandemic to the point that 500,000 people died and it's still not safe to go outside even though other countries have handled that so it's like there is only so much that you can do inside of yourself to break yourself out of a rut when the rut was not made by you to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I gotta go climb a mountain. Yeah, that, I mean, you can social distance on a mountain, so maybe that would be a good idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But unless you guys have anything else that you want to bring up, this has been uh, Chapter 5 of Celeste and of Reflection, a Celeste retrospective uh, podcast. But before we go... Um, Serial, do you want to plug your socials? Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can people find your work? Uh, yeah, you can you can find me at uh, twitter.com slash Serial Vasquez, S-U-R-I-E-L-V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. Uh, and if you want to support me, you can check out the uh, 
min max with two ends uh patreon where we have a bunch of videos and podcasts going up all the time uh and for my work i you can just follow my twitter i usually post anything i i end up writing there so uh yeah feel free to follow along for sure do you have anything coming up that people should be on the lookout for uh, not at the not at the moment, but I have it, a lot of my work right now is behind the scenes stuff. But uh, hopefully, at some point, well, when, once more games coming out, I'm hoping to do more reviews. So uh, just be on the lookout for those. Yeah, and MinMax stuff has been really great lately. If you are interested in, um, you know, this kind of like game club format, the Min- MinMax has sort of perfected it with the Deepest Dive. They've got one coming up on Arkham Asylum and. If you're interested, that's free on YouTube. Or if you want a podcast version, you can become a patron at the $5 tier. Uh, <laughs> I don't need to do an ad for MenMax, yeah. but I am a patron at MenMax. I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a patron over there, and I want everybody to join because it is a you know a, a good community, and Serial is putting out some good content over there. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Sure thing. And uh, Colton, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LazyAstia, and you can find my editing work uh at react to the k on youtube awesome and uh i am on twitter at funnel chest 94 you can go there to find all my work i just had something go live at GameSpot that i've been working on for a long time you should go read that if you are interested in how games make it fun to be the villain that's the name of the of the uh article so go read that and otherwise just follow me on twitter at funnel chest 94 and that's going to do it for this episode, folks. This has been Reflection, a Celeste Retrospective podcast, a mini-series from The Party Game Show. And we're reminding you to party on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.